The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We have been preaching through the book of Matthew because we want to get to know Jesus more uh, intimately and get to know him. And um, this book has been just so good for us, just getting to know who Jesus is and what he's about, because it seems that he gets a little confusing at times. It's not exactly sure... You know, is he uh, Jesus? Um, Jesus, my bro, shirt, or who is he? Um, so we are in the book of Matthew, chapter thirteen, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to start looking at this together. Uh, Father, as we look at your word here to teach us more about Jesus, we pray uh, that the certainties of who he is would give us grounding for our lives. I'm comforted that Jesus knew what it's like to have uncertainties in life, and yet he helps us. So, Father, I pray that by your word that you would help us to have certainty in who Jesus is and what he's for in our lives. Amen. All right. Do you guys, um, do you ever get, like, uncertain news? We're obviously talking about uncertainty this morning, but do you ever get kind of like that news of, like, Oh no! What's going to happen? Like, oh no! The company's downsizing. Is that going to include my my job? The uncertainties of going to like Thanksgiving dinner, and if that relative shows up, like, what's going to happen? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> there's uh, so there's a lot of different uncertainties that go on in our lives, right? We uh, I've noticed lately um, this is that I'll say, hey, can we talk? And somebody's like, oh no, am I in trouble? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, because I'm a pastor, right? They're like, no, no, I'm in trouble. Like, no, 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 you're not in trouble. I just wanted to talk. But if you had somebody, like you say, like, uh, somebody says that to you, hey, we need to have a conversation. And you're like, oh, okay, what's that going to be? Like, this is, there's a lot of uncertainties. Uncertainties hit us at multiple angles at multiple times through our day and through the week. And that's kind of a bit of, um, as we're moving through the book of Matthew, Jesus is laying out this groundwork of here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm doing. And then we get to this moment in the book of Matthew where uh, Jesus starts laying out all these parables. And it gets a little confusing, first of all. It's like, what are all these little pictures? How do, how do we drop into the fables, you know, Aesop's fables, in the middle of Jesus' teaching? And what are all these things about? And what is he trying to do? So just to, right off the bat, this is a big chapter. And what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of cut up into little sections and look at sections of it through uh, through our time in it. But Jesus, if you pick up in verse 10, Jesus says exactly what the parables are for, right? Verse 10, he says, Then disciples came to him, and like us, they're like, Why are you speaking to them in parables? And he answered them, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, their ears cannot, cannot bear, can barely hear, their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I'll heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and do not see it, and hear what you hear, and do not hear it. So this is a long section where Jesus is kind of laying out 
this whole confusing section of the parables. And what he's basically saying is, look, the parables are going after the grounding of our heart. Because when all these uncertainties hit us, all the uh, confusing realities of life, he is saying, look, when you confront my realities, you either take them or you leave them. And he's coming at us and saying, look, the uncertainties of your life reveal what's going on deep down. And it's an invitation to rest and understand and know who the king is. Right? He's saying there, right, for the, to give and to know, verse 11, for to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to know something. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know realities about our lives. He wants us to know what's going down. And the parables, the reason I keep saying all these uncertainties is because the parables that he lays out lays out three different types of uncertainties that we're going to be looking at. Right? Three different types of groundings that he wants us to have. Because we've got eight parables, and they talk about like weeds and seeds. <laughs> they talk about treasures and pearls. They talk about uh, going in and getting your good cutlery and getting your bad cutlery. He's talking about all these weird dynamics. Um, and you kind of walk away, uh, you're like, what is going on? Jesus is going after our hearts so that we understand the certainties of the king. That's the main point, right? He is, he is going after our hearts so that we understand the certainties of the king and the, all the various types of uncertainties that we engage with. Because he's going he's to talk about uncertainties about who I am type questions, what am I doing type questions, and where am I going type questions. So we're going to look at we're going to look at three different dynamics of uncertainties that he engages, and we're going to look at the first one, first set of parables, the certainty of his value versus the uncertainties of our heart. The certainty of his value versus the uncertainties of our heart. So we're going to read, maybe, I don't know if you guys are familiar with many of Jesus' stories, but um, this, is a pretty par- this is a pretty famous parable of his. This is a, the parable of the sower. So we're going to read through the parable of the sower, and then we're going to look at his explanation of it a few verses down. That same day, Jesus went, this is verse, chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. The great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. By the way, just a, just a, a comment about that. Like we read that and we're kind of like, okay, Jesus got in a boat and read or talked. But actually, that would have functioned as like Jesus using like new technology that they didn't have like a microphone. Because what that would have been is like him standing up on a platform and his voice would have ricocheted off the water. It would, a lot of people would have been able to hear him. So just kind of throwing that out there, just a little note. Jesus was using a microphone to talk to a big group of people. And he told them many things in the parables saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell among the path. And the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no, they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on the ground, on good soil, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying to them. And you're like, with me, you're like, Thank you for the farm lesson, Jesus. I'm not sure what this means. So the parables, that's where the disciples are like, Jesus, what does this mean? And it goes on, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
This is what was sown along the path. And for what has been sown on rocky ground, this is the one that hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So, all right, let's just make sure we're understanding this, right? This is the one who comes and snatches away from the heart, right? This, there's a, he's saying the seed comes and it goes in the ground. He's laying out the first ground. This is the rocky ground. This is a ground that no one hears a, hears a word and immediately receives it with joy. Hey, this is good stuff. Jesus, I, I like the grace. I like the mercy. This sounds really good. This, um, yet he has no root in himself and endures for a while, but when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the world, immediately he falls away. Well, this, is kind of, this is not exactly what I've immediately thought of in this story, but what Jesus is saying is, look, remember the sun comes up, scorches the ground, the seed doesn't have any root. Have you ever kind of picked up like... Uh, like every like pulling weeds out of the yard for whatever reason weeds go deep real fast, but if you get them real quick, you, know, you can just kind of pull them like pluck them right out of the. That's what he's talking about. As for the son, one who is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. Sorry, did I skip one? Did I miss one, guys? No. Okay. Sorry, I felt like. All right. This is sown among the thorns, right? This is the, the riches of the world and, pro, and the, the cares of the world. It's just, just, look, I really love the stuff that you're telling me about Jesus, but like my, I'm trying to get my job going where it's going. I'm trying to get my family on track where we're going. Um, I, I'm trying to get the, the, the goals of life, right? Even like good goals of life, right? It's okay to make money. That's not what Jesus is going after. But the cares of those things take over. Those, the cares of those things, they, they effectively eclipse Jesus in this story, right? They eclipse the sun. And it says, as for, the, as for what was sown on good soil, is the one who hears the word and understands it. And indeed, he bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in one case sixty, in one case thirty. Right, so here's like the good soil, right? And the, the, the way people have talked about this story sometimes is to say, like, oh, you're a hard-hearted person, you're a, you've got, th- you know... Making pronouncements about who people who people are in the story, right? As though we all are the good soil and everybody else is the bad soil. the The point of the story is not for us to look at each other and say, "Ah, you've got you're the rocky." The point is to invite us into evaluating what are the things in our lives that are proving distracting, or destructive, or get in the way of Jesus taking root in our hearts, right? Because the point of the story, right? It, Verses 11 and 19, what is, what is the seed, right? He said, he answered, to you has been given the, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Right, so what's the secret of the kingdom of heaven? Right, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, right, the word of the kingdom is God's gracious, good, redeeming work in Jesus. Anybody can be made new again in Jesus. That's the, the word of the kingdom. Jesus makes all things new. He's the one that's got it, and he's renewing all things. That's, that's the word of the kingdom, right? That, that, that sounds like good news. It comes in like a little seed. It sounds really simple, right? That, that's, it's like that little card that we have. It's really simple, right? We're all complete failures. Our futures are incredibly bright. Anyone can get it on this because of Jesus. It's really simple. It comes in, and then what does it do? Well, it, the reality is that the groceries still have to get picked up. 
I still got to get my job. My family's still a wreck. Those are the cares of life. Or, pff, you're a Christian? Why, why would you do that? The, that's what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at what's the heart value? What, what are the things that are valuable to you on the inside? The deep things that rest and root your heart. God is going to, God is providing for us this, seed, this little seed that intends to do, when he says, right, bears fruit and yields, verse 23, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Right, we kind of, we read that and we're like, oh, I hope that we get like a thirtyfold. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I'd rather like a hundredfold, right? I'd, I'd, I want the big one, not the little one. You realize, when, in, in farming terms of the day, like to get like a yield of like two or three times was like, whoa, you're, you're like rolling and du- you're like Scrooge McDuck and all that money, right? You're just, that's what, so when he says 30, 60, 100, he's like blowing their mind about how much this little seed produces in our hearts, which is what he goes on to say, right, in the mustard seed in the leaven story, right, verses 31 and 33, and he put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard, sorry, wrong parable, parable, wait, where am I, wrong one, sorry, I got ahead of myself, parable of the hidden treasure. So there's eight of them, guys, give me a break. Parable of the hidden treasure. Kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field with a man found and covered up and in his joy goes and sells it and all that he has and buys that field. And then verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it, right? So here again are these val- these parables going at the values of the heart, right? These guys, they're walking through a land and oh my goodness, there's an X on this piece of ground. Look, I'm going to dig up this where this X is. X marks a spot. There's treasure. I'm going to cover it back up. I'm going to go sell everything so I can buy the land. Right now, the purpose of the parable is not to make you say like, "That seems a little ethically dubious," right? Because <laughs> it's like, "Oh, hey, I found something really valuable on your land that if you knew about it, you would have charged me like a thousand times more for." That's not the right. Just go with the image, find something valuable, sell everything, go and buy the because you want it. And the same thing with the pearl of great price, right? Searching and searching and searching and finding that one that gives. It's just like the seed, right? You notice how it's one seed, one treasure, one pearl. And it's not you work for it and then you get it, right? He found the treasure. It gave him joy already as it was. And then he gives everything so that that can become his one thing, right? It's the same thing with the seed in the story, right? The one thing that gives fruit and produce and joy and abundance of life as a seed. It's the pearl. It's the, that one pearl. I've been looking my whole life. I'd, I've always had questions about what's the meaning of life? Where's, where's life going? Who am I? Oh, Jesus, you've got this. You, you get this. You get me. Okay, I'll give everything else up and I'll have you. See, Jesus is going after our hearts because amidst all those uncertainties, right, why, why do we get so distracted and you know, confounded by the cares of life and the desires of riches and persecutions and those type of things? Right? Because our hearts, like we go back and forth of like, do people value me? Who am I? Do they want me? Am I, am I important? Has anybody forgotten me? Those, where, where is my value? And Jesus is pointing out in these parables, he's going after saying, no, no, listen, your heart, you can't, you can't trust them. You can't trust your hearts. You can trust in me, 
and I give you uncertainty. I'm not saying, he's not telling us he's going to give us answers, X, Y, and Z, for all the things of our lives. But he is giving us himself. And what have we seen in the book of Matthew if we've looked through this? Do you remember the baptism of Jesus? Jesus goes down in the water, comes out, and what happens? The Father says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit comes down like a dove and rests on him. You ever wonder, what is the one sure treasure of God's heart? It's Jesus. God loves Jesus among all things. He is the one person that God loves. Jesus, the Bible says, is the exact imprint of his nature. Right? It's as though you took, it took, uh, you know, you make an imprint of something. Right? You take one thing and you lay it in clay, and now you have two things that look exactly the same. That's the way Jesus, the, God the Son, and God the Father are. God loves the Son, and then that's so. Then Jesus is saying, "I'm going to be the treasure of your heart. <laughs> you could get, you couldn't get anything better." What's one thing that could be better than Jesus, right? A bunch of money, owning the whole world, having all your friends like all your Facebook posts and everything like that? No, it's Jesus whom God loves above everything else, right? That, that's the one certainty that he offers us. You want certainty? God says, here's Jesus. And then you want a, a wise certainty? Remember, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. What does it look like to live in this kingdom and, and live in this world of what God's designed to not have just kind of all these questions and all these regulations, but to flourish, and to serve, and to be a part of his work. That's the kingdom that Jesus lays out for us. That's the, that's the seed that he's planting in us. So how do we get that? Right. This is pretty simple. Right. The other seed, verse 8, fell on good soil and produced, good, produced grain. He says in verse 23, for what has been sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Right, that's, that's a proactive work. Right, how do we get the certainty of who Jesus is? We go and we read the word. We spend time in the Bible. We spend time letting it filter us and not filtering the Bible. Let it, let it look at our hearts and judge us and learn to lean in to who God reveals himself to be in the Bible. And I get it, guys. Like, this is hard. Like, when we, and we call this, like, morning devotions. I don't know if you guys, morning devotions, anybody heard of that? Where you just read your Bible in the morning. Sorry, it's kind of, like, basic, but some people don't know. It's fine. Morning devotions. Look, I'll just say, it's, it's hard. I, I've done morning devotions for 10, 15 years. And in the last couple months, I've, I think I've done maybe, like, two or three. It's just been, and it's not because I don't want to read the Bible. But it's because uh, I'm not going to impugn any of my children on this, but I wake up at 6.20, and a certain child wakes up at 6.21. Like, I could wake up at 6.30, and that child will wake up at 6.31. Like, they just have, like, this sense. And then it's like, then I'm, like, up and, like, doing things with my kids, and that's the, that's the thing that Jesus is talking about, right? The cares of the world, right? It just sleep in, or you're tired, or exhausted, or just too many things going on in the world. It's the same for me. The last couple of months, it's just been real hard to have my morning devotion time. But it's the moment where God wants us. It's just a rhythm of life to say, God, your word, I want it to be proactively pushing down into my heart so that it produces the joy and fruitfulness of Jesus in my life. So I just throw this out there. Psalm 119 is all about the value of God's word, right? The val- it's, it's the longest psalm in the Bible, so it takes about 10, 15 minutes to read. 
read it once a day for the whole week. Or you could split it up into four sections and read five minutes worth of it one day a week. Or you could read one book, one chapter in the book of Ephesians. One, book, book of Ephesians, right? Six chapters, then you get Sundays off, right? Reading the word, lo- spending time, letting it get down into our souls because we want this free joy. That, that's what you get when, it, when you do your devotions. It's not because, uh, checked off my religious duty, now I can say, Jacob, I'm doing a great job at being a Christian. Look how good. Look, I've got 17 checks in a row of doing my devotions. That, that's, not the pur- I, that's not the purpose. What I want for us is, no, we want, G- we want more of Jesus, right? We want to be like this guy who finds a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and the man who found it and covered up, and then in his joy, right? He already has joy by finding that treasure. Let's take God's word and spend time with it to find the treasures of who God is in his word on a regular, consistent basis. So let's just commit to that, guys. Because God wants to increase our joy so that we have more certainty of Jesus' value. All right. We cool with that? We're going to move on. We're going to pick up on some more parables here. And we're going to find, because if we love Jesus, we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, right? That's the main point of Jesus saving us so that we don't go after our own desires. We go after his desires. And so the next thing we're going to be looking at is the certainty of his mission versus the uncertainty of the church. Maybe this seems like a bit of a strange, here we are in a church service and we're saying the church is uncertain. Well, that's kind of what Jesus is going after. The parable of the sower, if you pick up the parable of the weeds, I'm sorry, all these headings. Parable of the weeds, verse 24. And he put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while this man, his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. I mean, what a jerk. (laughs) Right? Here he is. He's sowing a bunch of weed. And then his disgruntled neighbor across the street is like, ah, I'm going to go get in Ben's face. I'm going to screw up his crop for the year. He throws out all these weed seeds. Like, I don't even know where you pick up weed seeds, but he had weed seeds. So when the plants came up and bore, again, bore grain, <laughs> sorry. I did not mean that connection. <laughs> uh, yard vermin. How about that? Yard vermin seeds. How about <laughs> and if you do know where to get weed seeds, do not tell me. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to know. And for any government officials listening to this, nobody answered. Um, <laughs> and the servants of the master went out, came and said, Master, do you not, did you not see the seed, the good seed in your field? And, then does it ha- and, and how then does it have weeds? He said to them, the enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Right? Basically, let's cut out all the weeds, go pluck them out. He said, no, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I tell you, the reapers gather the, I would tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat in the bar, in, into my barn. Right? And so he goes on to explain in verse 36. Then he came, uh, when he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples came to him and saying, explain, explain to us this parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, right? So here we have Jesus and the, Jesus is the seed in the first parable that he says. And then now Jesus is the one sowing the seed in the second parable. 
The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. It's like, I would never have made that connection. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Right, you see, here is Jesus laying out this picture of his people growing in the world so that he will come then at the end of the age and take away all the impurities of this world. Right, the picture is pretty clearly like it goes from being an individual level with the seeds of the heart to a global level, right? We now are talking about the big picture. Where is this going? What are we doing? And here's the main point of this parable, right? The church is a messy place, right? The church is just a big group of people who are trying to not be as much of jerks to love Jesus together with a bunch of jerks still among us, <laughs> right? And the point of this parable is not to say, oh, now we're going to try to pick out who are the weeds among us, right? Because even Jesus says, no, 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 don't, that's not your job. That, that's, that's left to the very end. And the point of this is not for us to feel like, oh, we're, we're the wheat and we're better than other people, right? The picture is to say, Jesus wants his people to grow, and they're going to grow in messy contexts, right? I mean, what's our favorite uh, church planting verse, right? Remember this, Proverbs 14.4? Does anybody remember this? Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come from the strength of the ox, right? Which is to say, if the church is, uh, if the stall is full of mess and lots of things to clean up, and that means that there's life and there's things going on, right? That's the way church life is, right? Just messiness, there's lots of things going on, mistakes being made, misunderstandings, people saying, you know, mean things, all this sort of thing. It, it happens in a messy context. The church is not only itself a mess, but then we're growing up and it's growing to be more like Jesus in a context where we're like, look, we're still among and know our neighbors. But, did you see Jesus care for his people, right? No, 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 don't, don't go take out the weeds because I don't want you to harm the, my people who are growing. Right? Did you pick up on that? I don't want that. I want the church to keep growing. This is the context, the strain of our lives, the, the trials that we face. That's actually the place where Jesus grows his church. And it grows over time, right? Verse, verse, now we'll go back to verse 31. Takes, tells him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all till it was all leavened. Right? Do you notice the one thing that's consistent with all these parables? They take time. Right? It takes time for, for the plants to grow. It takes time for a seed to grow into a tree. It takes time for the leaven to get into the bread. It takes time. But the point is that Jesus' mission keeps going forward, even amidst the mess, right? Even amidst all the messiness of churches, you know, a bunch of people trying to do church together, all that mess, Jesus still, over time, grows his church, slowly 
accomplishing his mission, right? That's certain to happen. Sometimes if we get focused on the church and like, how can we do this more effectively and do this more efficiently and get everything all production and no more issues and a better, you know, speaking and all, blah, blah. that's what we tend to focus on. That, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's like, you know what? Let's grow in excellence. But we aren't an efficiency program, right? The church is an incredibly inefficient project, right? Because it's a bunch of people who need Jesus coming together with a bunch of people who need Jesus, uh, trying to figure out how they need Jesus together. It just takes time. <laughs> but the way that Jesus grows his church is he, his mission is unstoppable. Right? This is, right, I don't know if you guys ever think about this with the early church. Like We tend, tend to think of like, wow, like the early church, it was like this massive, massive revival. Well, here's some stats on the early church, right? At the early church around 100 A.D., there's about 25,000 Christians, right? That's pretty incredible, right? right. 25,000 people, that'd be like if you uh, took all the people of the west side, and that was, that was it. West side. All the people on the west side, about that, 25,000 people. That was all the Christians in the world at that time, at 100 AD. By three, 310 AD, there are about 20 million Christians. It's incredible. We think like, wow, like gangbusters, you know, the reality is that it was about a 2%, 2.5%, growth over time, just incremental. So that meant about like one or two people joining a church every year, coming to Jesus. Like, let's not get like all these like, wow, like gangbusters revivals. It's like slow, steady growth has always been the way God grows his church. One or two Christians per year. So that's why we talk about it as a church. Like, look, we, we want to plant more churches, and it's just going to take time. It's, one or two people coming to Jesus a year, more more missional communities, splitting them off, starting new churches. Actually, the same thing happens in, in China. Can we throw that? Yeah, China growth. In 1949, there was one million Christians in China, and then 2014, there was at minimum about 60 million Christians. It represents the same type of growth. 5.5% growth, you know, two or three people coming to Jesus a year. So when we talk about joining Jesus' mission here, let's not like outgrow our pants. <laughs> let's just keep our, let's, we're going to be who we are, right? We're just going to be who God has made us to be, right? Remember, these seeds, we're not saying, oh, I'm a mustard seed. I'm, so, I'm the smallest seed in the world. Why can't I be a sequoia tree seed? You know? Like, no, no, we're, we're just going to be who we're going to be. They're going to join what Jesus is joining. And we're just going to trust him for the mission. And it's going to be a mess. That's okay. You know? But we, we get to join his mission. His mission is going to happen, right? That's, what are we doing? Like, we often, I don't know if you guys, at the end of the day, you're kind of like, or the end of the week, like, what did I accomplish with my life? Well, Jesus here is giving us the certainty. You know what? When you're with Jesus, you might not have seen much this week. You, you probably won't. But Jesus is still going to accomplish his mission, right? The church, I just want you guys to know, I'm going to disappoint you. If not today, tomorrow. The church does not rest on me. The church continues to rest on Jesus' purpose for his mission. So as we're talking about, what does this mean? What, let's, let's, let's just commit to this together. We're not going to be the purists to try to get the weeds out. right? And that's not to say we don't have uh, dynamics for growing in holiness, and we don't have calls to grow in holiness, and we don't have issues where we have to remove people from membership. Actually, Jesus talks about that later in the book of Matthew. right? So this isn't to say we don't ever exercise church discipline, or work through difficult subjects together. But let's just not, let's just not be like microscopic. How about that? 
but let's continue to work together. Let's continue to join each other in walking alongside what Jesus is doing. And let's keep a long view. Let's just commit to a long view. You know what? I'd love for us to be growing to two or three services, planting a church in the next two years. That'd be great. But, you know, if it's two or three people joining the church in the next couple, you know, next year, that's going to be okay. Jesus is saying that's the expectation. It's going to slow growth over time. Let's keep the long view of the church in view. All right, you guys, let's finish this up. Pick up and uh, we're going to look at a couple of these things that he picks out here. And then we're going to pick, finish the end of the passage. Because here we talked about kind of like this question of who am I? Jesus offers us the certainty of his value for our hearts. What are we doing? He offers us the certainty of his mission instead of the certainty of a great institution. And then he offers us where we're going, the certainty of his return versus the uncertainty of our doubts. So I don't know if you picked up on this in verses 29 and 30. But he said to them, right, this is again the parable of the weeds. Uh, Gathering the weeds, you root up along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. In the harvest time, I tell you, the reapers gather the weeds first and bind in bundles and be burned. But gather the wheat uh, into my barn. And then when he explains it, right, he says, John in verse 40, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all the cause of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, ears, let him hear. Right, here we have these two kind of markers at the end of these parables. Actually, these are parables that begin and end this section to say, this is going somewhere, right? This isn't just kind of like a Yoda that comes to give us a few, you know, good statements to guide us in our lives, to kind of help us have like some good t-shirts, and then, you know what? He's going to die and it's going to be over. Right? This is going somewhere. Jesus is returning. He is coming back. And he has a conclusion to this whole story that he's writing. Right? And the, the, the conclusion is, are you going to be with Jesus? Or are you going to be against Jesus? That's, that's where the story ends. Right? So if you look at the end of this whole chapter, verse 53, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom that the, and these mighty works? Um, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not these his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? And when did this man get, and where did, these, did his, this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not welcomed, is not honored except in his hometown and in his own household. A prophet is without honor, except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not many, do many signs, mighty works there, because of their unbelief. You know, I, there's a little bit of a backhanded compliment in here. I don't know if you guys picked up on it. You're like, wow, Jesus is really smart. How do you get so smart with Joseph and Mary for parents? <laughs> I don't know if you guys, it's like, he, he's got these guys who are, we know Joseph and Mary, and we know his brothers. How did Jesus get so smart? Like, where did he get all this confidence from? It seems a little bit of a backhanded compliment to me. But the point is that there's no, um, when it comes to Jesus, right, there's no kind of like uh, close enough with Jesus. There's no sort of like know him, know about him enough. Jesus, when you really get to take him seriously, look, this is a man who claimed to be God 
in the flesh. This is a man who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. This is the man who says, if you put your trust in me and I get in your heart, you'll have life abundantly. And if you don't, you'll shrivel and die. Like, I can't say those things to you guys. But Jesus does. And so he makes a dividing line in humanity and says you're either with, and the with is free and open and free mercy and grace for all of our, our problems and failures, right? So it's not like you have to get a Dakota ring and figure out how to do this. It's free and open. But those who reject him, even if you know about him, they would not enter into God's kingdom, right? They actually get removed. Jesus is saying that there's not close enough with him, right? There's not sort of like second cousins to Jesus' people. There's only brothers and sisters in Jesus' family. And so he's calling, where are you going? What is your hope? Where is the ultimate destination of our lives? And Jesus is saying, it's either with me or it's going to be rejected by me. This is an active pursuit. You notice how these parables are continually going after our hearts. Because we've been talking about understanding the certainty of the king. He's going after, do you, do you know, do you rest in, do you wrestle with, do you grapple with who Jesus is so that who he is grounds who you are. Right? It, other than that, I don't know about you guys, but like at like 10.30 at night, I'm filled with doubts. All the time. I don't know why it is, but 10.30 is kind of generally the, not, the time. 10.30, I'm like, where am I going? What, what, am I, what is this about? Why am I doing this? Jesus, like, you know, like all this uncertain news, it, it really does seem like things are not going the way they're supposed to go. And what Jesus is doing for us in all of this is he's looking at us and saying, you know, I know that it's hard. There's, life is full of disappointments. Lots of things that could fill you with doubt. But I've, I've got a plan. Because of who he is, I'm coming back. And I care about your growth. I want you to understand amidst all these uncertainties, which I'm not going to dispel or get rid of, I want you to have certainties in resting in who I am. Right? This is the, the king who has absolute, total control. Right? <laughs> we read about this last week. What was that quote that we read on Good Friday? The very one who designed and gives life to his executioners is the one who dies in our place so that he could save us from ourselves, save us from Satan's sin and death, so that now we have a definite, there's a final chapter that's coming, right? We don't know, you know, for chapter four in our lives, we don't know what chapters four to 75 are, but chapter 76 is Jesus returning and coming back. And it might not be in our lifetime, but he's coming. And at the end, we will either be like these people who knew him, knew about him, but did not understand him, or we will be people who understand him. And the way we get in that is, are we leaning into who he is? Do we understand the certainty of the king? Right? We want to be, verse 23, as for what was good, good, sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. Indeed, he bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in one case sixty, in one case thirty. We want to be people who understand, who get who Jesus is and put it in our hearts so we know his certainty in contrast to all of our uncertainties. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us more of who Jesus is, that we would understand him, we would enjoy him, 
they would experience him. So would you continue to be with us as we worship you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.